welcome to Awaken Podcast. I hope you enjoy the teaching. Good morning, everybody. Good morning. Welcome to Awaken. Uh, my name is Micah, and we're going to begin our morning with a call to worship. Now, I need all the kids in the room. I need, to, I need your attention. Kids, usually we start our church, and somebody stands up here, and they're talking to all the adults in the room. And I just thought, you know what? We're going to change it up this morning. So I want to talk to you guys this morning. So the call to worship is for you all, and if your parents want to join along, that's fine. Does that sound good? Kids, can I, can I hear your voices? Does that sound good? All right, okay. Sometimes I wonder, like, what are we doing at church? Like, why are we even here? Why do we come here every single week? And I was thinking about that this morning. And I was thinking, sometimes I forget. Sometimes I forget things, like where I put my keys or where my coffee cup is. And I think sometimes we forget things that we maybe have learned or that we know. And so I want you to think about, maybe if you would, close your eyes. And I want you to think about one good thing in your life. One good thing that you can think about. And see it in your mind's eye. Make a picture of it in your mind. And then, maybe even out loud if you want to, just say, thank you, God, for that good thing. When we come to church, we remind ourselves of the things we know. That God is good. That God is love. And that we're together. All right? So... Maybe if you can, invite your parents around you to stand if they're able, and let's sing some songs together. Sound good? All right, let's do it. Oh, by the way, this is my friend Will. He's new with us this morning, so welcome, Will. Glad you're here. Uh, if you are, by, by chance, still looking for a seat in the back, there are some seats in the transept and down here in the front. Um, but welcome to you. Again, my name's Mike, if we haven't met. So glad that you are here and with us at Awaken. Um, If you are new or newer to Awaken, we want to extend a special welcome to you. There are some cards in the seat pockets in front of you or online. You can click a little I'm new button on our homepage. Fill out that form. Let us know that you're with us. Somebody from our team will reach out and invite you to a beverage of your choice. Uh, If you have come to give tithes and offerings this morning as part of your worship, those cards and those tithes and offerings can go in the black boxes. There's also a bunch of different ways you can give online, as noted above my head. A couple things we want to let you know about um, for new folks. Discover Awaken is happening today. Uh, We host this every couple of months. Uh, It's an opportunity for you to get to know us and for us to get to know you a little bit and some of the other folks here at Awaken. Uh, We'll have lunch, and so if you want to join us for that, you're welcome to, even if today's your first day. Uh, We usually order a little extra, so there will be enough food most likely. And, you know, water into wine, fish and loaves, I've got those covered. So come on, everybody. That was my first class in seminary, how to do miracles. Um, This week uh, coming up, we have uh, an event called Guess Who's Coming to Dinner, which is just another opportunity for people to get to know each other. Uh, This is July 26th, 6.30 to 8.30. You can register online for that. I think we have 15 hosts who are hosting. This is the uh, backyard version of Guess Who's Coming to Dinner. So low pressure, uh, just an opportunity to gather, get to know some new folks in your neighborhood or in your area. Sign up for that, and Kathy will let you know uh, where you're headed for that meal. Uh, Mondays with Micah. I started a little something this summer. Um, every other Monday, the second and fourth Mondays, I'm going to post up at a, a restaurant. So we did Minneapolis a couple weeks ago at Turtle Bread. 
Tomorrow, Monday, we'll be in St. Paul at Day by Day Cafe down here on West 7th. So if you are interested in that, if you identify as a male in the world, um, that is for you. 7 a.m. they open, so I'll be there, and whoever shows up will have breakfast. And that's that. Pretty easy. Last but not least, next Sunday, the 30th, uh, there's a gathering, the Queer Community Lunch. So if you're interested in that, there's going to be some uh, mini golf, which I made. (laughs) That's got my attention. Um, 12 o'clock at Como Park Mini Golf Course, which is still in operation, in case you were wondering. Um, Like the zoo and the, what do they call that thing? Como Town, the conservatory. Conservatory. There we go. Um, All right, friends, we're going to continue in our series in the book of Nehemiah today. So if you have your Bibles, turn there. Uh, We've been in this for a couple of weeks now. Nehemiah is all about rebuilding after something is lost. It's about what happens when your home is no longer your home and you have to find a new one. Um, So it's a little fitting. I want to just say one thing before we jump into that. And that is, if you are new or newer to Awaken and you found yourself here the last few weeks and maybe you've thought, uh, you've walked into the end of a really long journey with uh, our, former, uh, our former denominational partner, the Covenant. And maybe you, you walked in and you're kind of like, what is happening around here? Um, like, what have I gotten myself into? And I don't know if you're anxious about that or nervous, and I want to just say that, like, um, awaken is fine. Uh, in fact, I don't know that we've ever been more healthy in the life of our church 13 years into this thing. Um, there is, yeah, yeah. There's so much fruit on the tree around here, and there's so much evidence of God's spirit, and there is a, a unity and a, and a precision clarity on like who we are as a church. Um, and I want to just say, like, we're going to be fine. So if, if you came and you're checking this out and, you, and that like, got you a little nervous, like settle in, all is well. Um, we'll be here next week, okay? Um, I'm pretty sure about that. Unless the Lord tarries, we'll be here next week. So I want to I just say that. Uh, I've... I, I've heard a little, you know, rumbling or questioning of like, oh my gosh, what's happening? All is well. So um, buckle up. It's, we're, I'm super excited for this next season of our church life together. Um, it's very, very exciting. So uh, back to Nehemiah. Last week we looked at the prayer in chapter 1, the beginning of Nehemiah's book, which is a story about the rebuilding of the temple, in, or excuse me, the rebuilding of the walls in Jerusalem. And we talked about how Nehemiah includes himself in the prayers of his people, right? He's, he's actually quite a, a fantastic leader. Um, he, uh, I reminded you all of like what you carry as you go out into the world as people who the, the, temple, the temple of God no longer houses the spirit of God, but rather that's actually in the lives of the believer out in the world. That's what you carry into the world. And so um, head out there with that intact. Uh, we saw how Nehemiah didn't seek the power that he had access to, right? The power of the kingdom, that, that, the, the most important and most powerful kingdom in the world at that point. And he didn't seek that power, but rather sought the power that was in the divine, that was uh, on access to him, which is also on access to you all. Um, so, little review. This week, we're going to look at his interaction with the king. Um, he is the cupbearer to the king. And so, we'll look at chapter 2. If you are able, I would invite you to stand for the reading of the scripture. Rochelle is going to read our passage this morning. And we're going to get a good section of chapter 2 here, starting in verse 1. So, here we go. In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was brought for him, I took the wine and gave it to the king. I had been sad in his presence before. So the king asked me, why does your face look so sad when you are not ill? This can be nothing but sadness of heart. 
I was very much afraid, but I said to the king, may the king live forever. Why should my face not look sad when the city where my ancestors are buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? The king said to me, what is, is it you want? Then I prayed to the God of heaven and I answered the king, if it pleases the king and if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city in Judah where my ancestors are buried so that I can rebuild it. Then the king with the queen sitting beside him asked me, how long will your journey take and when will you be, get back? It pleased the king to send me, so I set a time. I also said to him, if it pleases the king, may I have letters to the governors of trans-Euphrates so that they will provide me safe conduct until I arrive in Judah. And may I have a letter to Asaph, keeper of the royal park, so he will keep give me timber to make beams for the gates of citadel by the temple and for the city wall and for the residence I will occupy. And because the gracious hand of my God was on me, the king granted my requests. So I went to the governors of Trans-Euphrates and gave him the king's letters. The king had also sent army officers and cavalry with me. When Sanballat the Heronite and Tobiah the Ammonite official heard about this, they were very much disturbed that someone had come to promote the welfare of the Israelites. I went to Jerusalem and after staying there for three days, I set out during the night with a few others. I had not told anyone what my God had put in my heart to do for Jerusalem. There were no mounts with me except the one I was riding on. By night, I went out through the valley gate toward the jackal well and the dung gate examining the walls of Jerusalem, which had been broken down, and its gates, which had been destroyed by fire. Then I moved on toward the fountain gate and the king's pool, but there was not enough room for my mount to get through. So I went up the valley by night, examining the wall. Finally, I turned back and re-entered through the valley gate. The officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing, because as yet I had said nothing to the Jews or the priests or nobles or officials or any others who would be doing the work. Pray with me if you would. God, this morning we gather as um, a group of people who claim and associate with the name of Jesus. And so it's my hope and my prayer that um, because of our gathering and because of our time together that um, we might look more like Jesus, we might sound more like Jesus, that our lives might reflect the life of this person that we follow. Um, so Holy Spirit, we, to the degree that we can, give you access to our hearts and our minds and our lives and ask that you would transform us, shape us, mold us into the kinds of people that, um, that represent you well in the world. I pray in the strong name of Christ and by the power of God's Spirit, and the church said together, amen. You may be seated. I just recently took a road trip. I got back yesterday. We went to um, Wisconsin for the National Championships of Tug of War. Did you guys know that this actually exists? It's a real thing. Evidently, it used to be an Olympic sport. Um, one of my kids is involved in it. So we're driving, and I noticed all these signs on the way back from, uh, from in Wisconsin. And it said something like, like tailgating, tailgate at the park, not on the freeway. And I kept seeing these signs, and I was like, kind of frustrated by it. 
And I said to my wife, I'm like, seriously, these signs are so dumb. Like, if your car breaks down on the side of the road, like, obviously you don't want to be there. You're not going to tailgate on the side of the road. You want to get off the road as soon as you can. And she looked at me and she's like, do you think that has to do with following too closely? <laughs> what in the world? There's some questions about the definition of tailgating out there. Um, I, sometimes I surprise myself at my lack of like ability to just see things that are very clearly right in front of me. You guys remember the two for one thing on the menu a while back? I don't know what, what my deal is. I'm losing my edge, I'm losing my edge. There's some questions about tailgating. I actually want to start with the question that Nehemiah gets asked by the king, Artaxerxes. And it's something that we've talked about at Awaken before. We've sort of, um, we've explored this question, but I think it's worth coming back to. If I know what I think I know about um, Christianity and evangelicalism, this question gets at a very important topic and something that I'm guessing we've been shaped by based on where we've come from. And the question is, what do you want? King Artaxerxes asks Nehemiah, what do you want, right? After hearing or seeing the sadness of his heart, the Hebrew there is like the vexing of Nehemiah's heart. He's vexed, he's sad, he's downcast. And he asks him, what do you want me to do for you? What do you want? Now that question seems pretty simple on the surface, right? And on most things, you could probably answer it or give some semblance of an answer about what you want. But I think if you scratch right below the surface and you press into it a little bit, you start to get to, this is a question about desire. It's a question about longing. It's a question about what rises up inside of us. And... If, again, if I know anything about Christianity and evangelicalism, we have an interesting relationship with desire. I'm curious. Uh, here's an all-play question learned by my friend Steve Weens at uh, Genesis Covenant, where Will leads. Um, all-play, like, I'd invite you to answer, you know, shout it out. What have you been told about desire and longing? It's wrong? It's evil? It's always creeping at your doorstep. Always creeping at your doorstep? It's wonderful. It's wonderful. Self-control. Say it again. Deceptive. Say it again, Rich. It endures. Desire. Longings. One more I heard over here. Only some people get to. Yeah. I think... If I recount like my life in church and in ministry and being shaped and formed by uh, evangelicalism and Christianity, there, there are certain messages that I heard and that I received about desire, many of which were sh shared today, right? Be careful. Uh, it's creeping at your door. Like, don't give in to it. Uh, you know, this body where the desires live, like, questionable at best. I want to ask you this morning, do you even know what you desire? Like, if you had to answer that question, do you know what you long for? Maybe it's intimacy or friendship, a partner, significance in, or value in your workplace. Maybe it's like less monotony, <laughs> a little joie de vivre, something to live for. Maybe it's to be considered or desired or pursued. Maybe it's to hear God's voice or have greater intimacy with God. Do you know what you desire? 
And then maybe even a further question, like what's your posture towards that? If it's not spiritual, right, if it's not about God, what, what's your relationship to that? What's your posture towards that longing, towards that desire? Ruth Haley Barton, in a book called Sacred Rhythms, um, makes an interesting assertion about desire and longing. She says this. She says, your desire for more of God than you have right now, your longing for love, your need for deeper levels of spiritual transformation than you've experienced so far, is the truest thing about you. You might think that your woundedness or your sinfulness is the truest thing about you, but in reality, it is your desire for God and your capacity to reach for more than you have right now that is the deepest essence of who you are. There is a place within each of us that is spiritual in nature, the place where God's spirit witnesses with our spirit about, the truest, about our truest identity. Here, God's spirit dwells with your spirit, and here, our truest desires make themselves known. What if your desire and your longing is actually connect, deeply connected to the truest part of who you are? And then, what if your relationship with desire and longing has been averse or stand, standoffish, keep it at bay? If that's true and the, the deepest part of who you are is connected to your desires and your longing, you've spent a lifetime at arm's length from your truest sense of yourself. Or maybe you're afraid of, our, of your desire, right? To speak it out loud, what if it doesn't come true? What if it doesn't happen? What if you have to deal with the heartbreak that comes from that thing still being a longing and not a fulfillment? Barton goes on to say, worse yet, what if I touch that place of longing and desire within me? and let myself really feel how deep it goes, only to dis discover that those desires can't be met. What will I do with myself then? How will I live des with desire that is awake and alive rather than asleep and repressed? That is a deep question. How will I live with desire that is awake and alive rather than asleep and repressed? I think for many of us, we have an interesting, maybe complicated relationship with our desires and our longings. And I find it fascinating. Jesus asked this question as well, right? You remember blind Bartimaeus on the road. He's been bl born blind from birth. Jesus comes upon him and, and he screams out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stops the entourage and turns to blind Bartimaeus and says, what do you want? Which is an odd question to ask a blind guy, right? I think it's pretty clear, Jesus, he wants to see. But I think it's so fascinating that he asks the question. And he makes Bartimaeus say it out loud. He makes him speak his desire, his longing, the thing that he wants so badly into the world. Nehemiah is faced with this question, what is it that you want? Right? And if you notice what happens, Nehemiah turns immediately to God Right? He says, he, he says a little prayer. Say a little prayer for me. And then he, he answers the question, and he tells the king what he wants. He says it out loud. I want to go back to the city where my ancestors are buried, and I want to rebuild the wall because it's been destroyed. He says what he wants. And it's actually a very bold request to make to a king. Right? Like, as a slave, a conquered person... He says he wants to go and rebuild the wall. 
which if you think about that, in an ancient world, what is a wall but protection against foreign invading enemies? And who is Artaxerxes but the very symbol of the foreign invading army that has just taken over his city, right? So that's a very bold thing to say. He not only names it, but he just says it straight, like boldly. Would you go more boldly if you knew? I was at uh, Sierra Trading Post not too long ago, prepping for my Camino trip that we just got back from a little while ago. And I'm standing in line, and up in front of me, I noticed that there was a guy standing there. And I actually recognized his voice before I saw who it is. And I was like, I think that's Mark Gold. I don't know if anybody knows that name. He was a youth pastor at a church in Prior Lake for like a thousand years. Um, and, and sure enough, it's Mark Gold standing there. So uh, he's up with the clerk, and I, uh, he has a moment. And I, I, I said, hey, what are the odds your name's Mark Gold? And he's like, very good. It is I. <laughs> and I said, I introduced myself and I said, Mark, um, random, random fact, uh, you preached a sermon when I was a ninth grader in high school that changed my life. I'm actually here in part because of Mark Gold's word that he offered at SEMP, Sun Life Evangelism Missions Project, in 1992. In, at Moody Bible Institute in Chicago. SEMP was a, uh, well, it was an evangelism missions project. I mean, <laughs> they, would, uh, they would teach us apologetics, right, how to defend your faith in the morning, and then they'd send us out in the afternoon, hitting the streets, we called it. I actually prayed every day that it would rain it from one to four. <laughs> I'm like, I do not want to hit the streets, like, at all. <laughs> but it didn't rain, so... Uh, but he told this, he, he preached this sermon, and, and the, the, the question was, would you go more boldly if you knew? And there's a story in the Gospel of Matthew where Peter is with Jesus, and they're, they're sort of challenging Jesus about the taxes that are paid at the temple, and whether or not Jesus is going to pay them or not, or this, that, and the other thing. And they have this discussion, and then Jesus says to Peter, hey, go to the Sea of Galilee, get in a boat, Throw your nets overboard, and when the nets come up, there will be a fish in the net. And if you open the fish's mouth, there will be a coin in the, that fish's mouth, and it will be a four drachma coin, which is enough tax for you and for me. And Mark's question was, would you go more boldly into your own life if you knew that this was the kind of God that we're dealing with here? The kind of God that can like pull a fish out of the middle of the sea with a, a coin in it, or raise a little girl from the dead, or his friend Lazarus, or heal a person who's been infirmed from birth. Would you go more boldly if you knew that this is the kind of God that we're talking about, and this is the kind of God that we're dealing with? Nehemiah's asked a question, what do you want? And he immediately goes to God in prayer, and, and I don't know what that would have looked like. I'm guessing it was quick, because he's standing before the most powerful person on the planet who's asked a pretty pointed question, right? He's downcast, and usually if you're going to, like, off a king, you might not be kind of, like, boisterous, and, you know, you may not have all your wits about you. So possibly the king's like, what is up with this guy? Like, is he going to try to kill me? So he asks him, what's up? What's going on? What do you want? Nehemiah answers him, and he says very boldly, I want to go back to the city that my ancestors are buried in, and I want to rebuild the wall. And then he begins to, like, offer more uninvited requests, right? He says, and will you give me safe passage between here and there? And will you give me access to the person who runs the timber 
a mill here so that I can build the temple or the, the walls and, and the house that I'm going to live in. And he, he, he keeps going as if he's heard something from God, as if he's in on some like task or mission or plan, some caper that God's got that Nehemiah feels called to and feels invited into. And I wonder, I wonder if we would go more boldly into our own lives if we had a sense that we were partnering with God and with something God was up to. Like, would you go into your work if a little more boldly, with a little more courage, with a little more like sh- uh, flat-footed, shoulder-square-ness, if you knew the kind of God that we were talking about, if you trusted these things that we've read about Jesus in the scriptures, that he's the kind of God, the kind of God who is found with the marginalized and the oppressed and those who are pushed to the edges, the kind of God who raises people from the dead and makes water into wine and does all kinds of things you couldn't believe could happen, would you go more boldly? I wonder. Nehemiah seems, he seems to have a growing level of confidence because he seems to be convinced that he's partnering with God in something that God wants done in the world. And I wonder if there isn't anything for us to learn from Nehemiah in that. Do you sense, like, a partnership with the divine in your life? Because that's what's being offered. That's what you're being invited to. To step out in faith and trust this Jesus who's gone before us and follow his way in the world because that's the way of the kingdom. That's the way that leads to life. That's the way that leads to more flourishing, more wholeness, more delight, more love, more compassion, forgiveness, and justice in the world. Like, that's the invite, and you're being asked. Do you believe that? Or are you just filling TPS reports out? Are you just, like, doing spreadsheets? Are you just changing diapers? Are you just... Like signing real estate documents? Or are you in on something? Is there some grand caper that's happening here, right now, outside of these walls, in this moment, that you've been invited into? And if you did, would you go a little more boldly? Which is a great transition because Nehemiah is a great story, has all the elements of a great story, including the foil. Right? You guys remember uh, Scooby-Doo? Those rotten kids have foiled my plan again. Every great story has a foil, you know? Uh, uh, an, uh, uh, Darth Vader, you know? Sauron, right? Uh, Sanballat and Tobiah. Man, I, it should be Tobias, shouldn't it? Isn't that a Parks and Rec guy, Tobias? Arrested, Arrested Development. Development, there we go. I haven't seen either of them, sorry. I haven't seen Frasier. I haven't seen, uh, what's that, Seinfeld. I didn't watch The Office. Can you guys believe that? I know. With all my movie quotes and pop culture stuff, you'd think I'd be deep into that. Not. I don't know what to tell you. Either way, this story has a foil, and his name is Tobiah and Sanballat. We read about these guys, and we get introduced to them in chapter 2. Sanballat the Horonite, Tobiah the Ammonite, when they heard about this, they were very much disturbed that someone would come to the aid to promote the welfare of the Israelites. Later in the chapter, we read that they mocked and ridiculed us. What is this you are doing? Are you rebelling against the king? Here's some wisdom I want to pass on to you. Wisdom that's always true. Kind of like winter always goes till May in Minnesota, right? Or when June comes, all Minnesotans will say, where has the summer gone? Right? Uh, Vikings, always a bridesmaid, never a bride, right? Some wisdom that will always be true for you. 
There's no substitute for a hard day's work. So my grandpa used to tell me. If it's worth it, it's worth working hard for. In leadership, no matter what decision you make, someone will always be unhappy. Put that one in your pocket. You're going to want to keep that. Uh, here's some wisdom. When you care for the oppressed, the marginalized, those who have been pushed to the edges, there will always be opposition. When you move towards the people Jesus moved towards, when you're found in the places Jesus was found, there will always be opposition to that because those who have pushed those to the center, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? They benefit by the system, right? For those who have power and have gotten it unjustly, they're not interested in giving it up. And so when you challenge the status quo, there will always be opposition, right? Nehemiah says, I want to go back to the city, and I want to rebuild the walls, and I want to help the people who have been oppressed, who have been enslaved. And there is opposition in this story like there will always be in that story. If that's true, if in fact... When we stand in the places Jesus stands and we move towards the people Jesus moved towards, that there will always be opposition, then I want to suggest that your character needs to be deep and square in order to do that kind of work. That, that there's a, you need to have a sense of rootedness and groundedness in order to move into that space. Otherwise, you'll melt. Because it will happen, right? Has anyone been paying attention to the last few years of our life? And if you're not settled in who you are and have done the work of the soul, right, the deep internal journey and transformative work, you'll melt because it's going to get hot in the kitchen. Notice what happens in Nehemiah, right? At the end of this passage that we read, before he, he arrives. He gets back to Jerusalem, right? He, he gets the, the uh, you know, the, the, the people bring him there. He's got all the tools necessary. And he knows what he's going to do. He's going to rebuild the walls. That's the job. But it says, for three days he did what? Nothing. Nothing. He knows what he's supposed to do. He has all the tools ready to do it. And for three days when he arrives, he does nothing. And then, when he's about to do something, he does it in the dark of night when no one else is watching. Imagine you have a problem at work and your social media crew comes and they say, all right, here's the plan, guys. What we're going to do, we got to fix this problem. we got this thing. It's a, it's a big one, and we got to tackle it. And so for three days, do nothing. And then when you do do something, make sure you do it at night when all the cameras are asleep. That's insanity, right? That's like ludicrous. You would never do that. And yet, there seem to be story after story after story found in these sacred texts about people who understand the value of silence and secrecy. Not secrecy like I got something I got to keep from you, but secrecy like not everybody needs to know all the things all the time. There seems to be some wisdom in this text around the deep, quiet work done in the dark, done when no one else is around. What do they say character is? It's, what, it's who you are when no one else is watching. Nehemiah does nothing for three days, and when he does do something, he takes a small band of people out in the night when no one else is watching, and he doesn't tell anybody about it. I think that's counterintuitive and countercultural to the world that we live in. The question is, which, which story are we listening to? Right. 
before he does anything, before he takes up the cause of the oppressed and moves towards the people Jesus would have moved towards, he sits and he waits and he's quiet. Because when you stand in those places and when you move towards those people who Jesus moved towards, there will always be opposition. Always. And so the work needs to be done here before it's done out there. There's some, uh, well, there's a guy named Meister Eckhart who I just think has a fantastic name. He was a mystic. And he said this. He said, what we plant in the soil of contemplation, we shall reap in the harvest of action. What we plant in the soil of contemplation, we shall reap in the harvest of action. Friends, as we move towards closing this portion of our time together, and we're looking at this person, this book, this story of Nehemiah, we, found, we, we will continue to find, but today, no exception, some deep wisdom about what it means to be human, what it means to live the spiritual life, and what it means to pursue God. So to my friends this morning gathered called Awaken, may I remind you that desire and longing is not your enemy. In fact, it may be part of the deepest, truest part of who you are. And so to live at arm's length from it, keeping yourself from like, having a conversation with it, I would submit to you is to live at arm's length from your own heart. And that never goes well. Would you go more boldly into your life if you knew the kind of God, if you trusted the stories that we read about in, this, in these scriptures about Jesus, that he represents and is an, the manifestation, the icon of the divine, that this is what God is like? Would you go more boldly into your own life if you were partnering, if you were up to something with God in that? And when you show up in those places... And you move towards the people and the places that Jesus moved towards. Don't be surprised when you're opposed. Don't be surprised when someone tries to pull the rug out from underneath you. And that's not to say, by the way, that any time you're opposed, you're doing the Lord's work. Because you can act like an idiot and be opposed and then not be the Lord's work, okay? We've all seen those people, amen? Like wearing a badge of honor because they're being criticized and, 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 and challenged. No, sometimes you need to be challenged and criticized because what you're doing is idiotic. That's not what I'm saying. But when, you, when it's not about you and it's about someone else and their empowerment, you can be, on, you can be like, like um, follow your nose that always knows. Remember Fruit Loops? When you're doing that kind of work, you can be rest assured that's going to be close to the kingdom when it's not about you, right? And when there's opposition, don't be surprised. Do the hard work of stillness and quiet, right? This is why spiritual formation matters so much and it's an important part of our church life. Follow the example of Nehemiah. Maybe don't do anything for a couple days. Maybe don't blast it out on social media about your plans and, and you know, you're curating your image. No, do the quiet work where no one else sees it. Some wisdom here this morning if we have ears to hear it. So I offer it to you for your consideration, humbly trusting that the Spirit is saying all kinds of things, lots of things that I'm not saying. So I want to offer a word of prayer and then a time of silence to maybe give some space for that to happen. So pray with me if you would. God, this morning, uh, as we close this time of study, again, I, I ask that your spirit would invest this space and our time with your energy, with your life, with your power. That you would remind us of who you are. That you would remind us uh, whose we are. And 
this way that you've invited us to follow. As we look to Nehemiah for wisdom on how to walk it well, I pray that whatever is of you, whatever is grounded and rooted in your, your essence and your character, God, that it would last, that it would, it would take root deep in our hearts, that it would be planted in the deep soil of contemplation, and that it would bear fruit. And if it's not of you, that it would just be forgotten, like seeds scattered on the side of the road. But whatever is of you, God, make it last, make it stand. To the church gathered this morning, my hope and prayer is that as you go, you would be encouraged, filled up, fed, sent back out into the world with good news, that you too would be Eucharist, this good gift to the world. So may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord lift up his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance to you and give you peace. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And the church said together, Amen. Amen. If you're going to Discover Awaken, you can head on down. We'll see you there. Otherwise, see you next week. Find us online at www.awakencommunity.com or on Facebook at www.facebook.com backslash Awaken Community or on Twitter at Awaken Community. See you next time.